Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. That's the gospel. It's good news. This is what God is like. He's love. Oh, now I see it. Well, if I hear this a lot, if God is like that, then I would follow him. Like, well, he is like that. It's like, okay, I'm in. I'm just in. What? That was easy. (laughs) I didn't even have to use apologetics. I could just tell them the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has revealed God as a divine lover. And and it removed a veil. And... And we know this because of the transformation that happens thereafter. Well, I am excited about this. I I was excited before we recorded this conversation, uh, a little bit nervous. Um, This is one of my uh, favorite authors that we get to speak with. He is, if you don't know Brad Jerzak, you should. You should be Mm. reading his books. He has been on a remarkable journey of faith himself, um, but he is also a scholar and just such a gracious person. And so it was lovely to meet him uh, through Zoom, and Mm. I really hope we can get him on again to talk about a few other uh, really interesting topics related to this. Um, I fell in love with his books uh, years ago, and Mm. uh, they have... uh, transformed the way that I view God and the way that I value my own faith. So Mm. this was a real treat for me. Me too. It was such an opportunity to hear someone who has thought about these things well, about what it means, what the incarnation means theologically, um, and taking it really seriously and drawing some conclusions that maybe you have not heard or um, or maybe you've wondered about. And so, yeah, we encourage you to enter this conversation. Uh, it's a theological conversation, and it's it takes seriously some of the things we say are true and that we live into as Christians. And I, I really loved this conversation as well. One of the things that strikes me most is the ease with which he just quotes church fathers. Mm. So he'll say, you know, this guy from this time said this, and he just, you know, just rattles off. And it just shows, it goes to show that we are just a part of a really, really big story. Mm. And it's really important to hear those early voices rather mm. than just assuming that the present voices are the only ones that matter. So oh, I hope good. you enjoy our voices discussing this uh, mm. now. So my name's Brad Jersak, or sometimes Bradley on Amazon, because I couldn't merge the names for my various books. And I'm currently the Dean of Theology and Culture at a little university called St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick, Canada, ssu.ca. Yay, New Brunswick. And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I write books, and I also contract for a magazine and things like that. But uh, a lot of my work is is uh, writing about the incarnation, about salvation, about who Jesus is and what the good news is about Jesus. Uh, For me, uh, I got into that work uh, at a a new level just by pondering with some of the, the early church fathers and the modern Trinitarians about what the implications of Christ uniting himself to all humanity. And in so doing, the creator uniting himself to all creation in this one person who walked around Galilee 2000 years ago. And then um, second to that also just to, to see the nature of God through this one crucified and Mm -hmm. risen that the, the clearest revelation of who God is, is seen in this suffering man as he's being tortured to death. Uh, what a profound thought. I, and so for me, uh, I just think um, there's nothing more radical than that. You, like you just can't, 
you you can't you can't think of some sort of radical liberalism for example that would entice me even close to what that does it, mm-hmm. it, it all feels bland after that frankly right right <laughs> yeah it's uh, that reminds me of one of the few years ago just hearing you know either jesus was crazy or we're crazy not to listen to him you know like yeah. that like you can't kind of be sort of with this idea or not so yeah it's it's a very uh polarizing idea really it is it should be anyway mm-hmm. um so we we want to ultimately kind of get into this discussion about uh salvation um because we've talked about incarnation a, f- a few different times. And so I'd like to come to that um, topic. But first, I, got, I have to ask, uh, are you tired of defining words or redefining Christian words? Because if not, I have a couple words to ask for definitions. Oh, yeah, chat. I would love to do that because it's, okay. it's so important that we understand each other. And we often underestimate um, uh, how different our the, what we've loaded into a word that you and I might have, like, so grace might mean something different to you and I. Incarnation yeah. might mean something t- different to you and I, and so on. So it's good to, it's good to check our terms. And also just in, in defining our terms, we make sure we're not um, sort of losing important ideas that, th- mm-hmm. that, are, that the terms hold for us. So I, mm-hmm. I'm not tired of that at all. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> But maybe you maybe uh so the, the first word would be sin mm. because you know <laughs> i i hear all the time you know it's breaking rules or it's bad thoughts or uh, missing the mark is a is a good one uh but i think that needs a little bit you know because that's like okay we need to be perfect oh we're not quite perfect so that's just you know it's kind of total depravity kind of thing um what what would you have as as a working definition Okay, so I, I want to say two things about that. Mm-hmm. If we're going to use some uh, something like missing the mark, we have to determine what the mark is. And mm-hmm. we we thought the mark was moral perfection or something right. like that. Holiness deci- de- defined as behaving and thinking properly or whatever. Right. Uh, whereas I would see that the mark is love union mm-hmm. with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mark. It's It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So missing the mark in my life is very clear. I can feel when I'm doing it. It's when I turn from love. It's from Mm -hmm. when I turn from the love of God, um, and it's when I turn from the love of the other. Because 1 John conflates the two. It basically says if you love others, you do love God. If you don't love others, you don't love God. Because that that's indivisible so this mark the mark then is divine love and of course i miss that mark all the time um mm-hmm. and yet uh and, and so then we would define that as sin it uh sin is the failure whatever failure in me to participate in in love of god and the other so that that's how i would mm-hmm. do it because i'm riffing off the great commandments which right. which christ says are his great takeaways of the entire law and the and the prophets, and that it becomes a defining, the sort of the defining feature of his own life and ministry and salvation. So, turning from love, there it is. That's yeah. sin. Hmm. It's not. It's not a very difficult concept, really. <laughs> the concept's not so difficult. Um, turning from love, though, is. <laughs> wow, I, I I don't. I'm not a good. I'm not good at loving. So to me, that's as an Orthodox Christian, that's why we would include in the idea of salvation struggle. Well, okay. I, I struggle daily to live in the grace given mercy of God to love. And, and I'm just not very good at it. So I pray Lord, have mercy. <laughs> right. Mm. What, what about the, the idea of disease? Oh, yes, that's part of it. And so I would so say struggle and healing. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Um, this is important because in a, in a in a lot of sort of Western legal models of salvation, sin is about law-breaking behavior. But the idea of sin, um, especially in the East, is that it's it's a deep-seated suffering of the soul. It's a disease, and so 
So it's not just the behavior of turning from love. It's, it's this propensity mm. in me. Mm. Um, and it, and it is, you can't punish that out of someone. You have to love the med, love is also the medicine. Yeah. Mercy is the mercy of God's the medicine. So as I am loved, um, uh, I'm being healed. So even in our, we have something called the Trisagi on prayer and, and part of it goes like this. Um, all Holy Trinity have mercy on us. Lord, wash away our sins. Master, pardon our iniquities. Um, Holy God, visit and heal our infirmities. So it connects mm-hmm. sin and infirmity in, in that sense. Right uh, this deep suffering of the soul that produces the crazy behavior is actually the disease of sin. So I'm glad you brought that up because in that sense, then the, the church is meant to be a hospital, not a courtroom. Right. Hmm. And, and the, the punishment is really naturally born out of like by, by not loving, I suffer. Like there, no one needs to come and cause me to suffer more because yes. I am going to suffer naturally. Yeah. Greg Boyd says it this way, that judgment is intrinsic to the sin because the, the turning from love is an act of self-harm. Sadly, it's also uh, the harm of others. There's collateral right. damage. And that's one of the reasons it's so, well, harmful is because my turning from love affects me. That's the punishment. But, but that there would be friendly fire in that, that I, that I would injure other humans makes it um, really serious, you know, mm-hmm. something to take. But, but again, you know, you won't punish that out of me. That, that would be, yeah. that's like trying to spank a fever out of a baby. You yeah. Know, mm. you know, it's ludicrous. What we need, what we need is the great physician. And so Jesus said. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, the, the second definition um, would be salvation. Mm. What, what is salvation if sin is not being able to love? Right. Or not um, directing our love <laughs> properly. Yeah. So um, let's go in two different doors with that one as well. So one door I want to go into and say is that the New Testament describes a past, present, and future sense of salvation. So in the past sense, at the cross, Christ has already forgiven, justified, and reconciled us to himself. That's Romans 5. Prior to repentance, while we were still enemies, mm-hmm. at, in some way, the incarnation that climaxes in the cross event has happened. Hmm. That's the past sense. Um, the present sense is I, the, the truth of that salvation becomes my experience of salvation through faith in Jesus. So I am being saved as I participate in that salvation willingly. Um, and that has, uh, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine when people say, when were you saved? It's like, well, if you mean, when did I pray this prayer? Okay, that's one landmark. But my whole journey of faith um, mm-hmm. as I surrender to the care of this loving God and I experience the forgiveness that is already mine. I experience the love that is already there. I experience the reconciliation, not just as this imputed righteousness off in some heavenly courtroom, but in my mm-hmm. actual life. So that's, these are landmarks or yeah. waypoints of my, self, my salvation as a present tense journey. And then finally, um, there's a future sense too. And I think that's to do with the, uh, all the, 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 um, the, the resurrection, hmm. uh, our resurrection into immortality. I am, I am not yet saved in that sense. I, I don't, I still have a mortal decaying body that is growing like ever larger love handles and, you know, it's losing more hair. Well, mm-hmm. At some point, uh, I need to be saved from death. So sometimes in Romans, you'll see like how much more will you be saved? Or if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God is raised from you will be saved. When, mm-hmm. when I make the confession, well, actually ultimately at the resurrection. So that's one door to think about past, present, future. Another is this, and this is where there's a debate. And I'm going to talk about two ditches and the road between them. The ditch on one side would be to think of salvation as transactional. Hmm. If you do this, God will do this. If you repent, you will be saved. If you turn, he will. And it's like this this vending machine transaction, or maybe it's a transaction Jesus did for you on the cross, but it's just, it's a quid pro quo, um, Mm -hmm. this for that. And then 
And then some folks have realized the perils of that, but then they overswerve into the other ditch. And I would say the other ditch is kind of a unilateral salvation, which you kind of get in the, in the forms of Calvinism where it's unilateral grace, mm -hmm. um, where it's irresistible, where it's a unilateral elect election, you know, yeah. the idea is God does it and you don't do anything. And how dare you do anything? Cause if you do anything, any form of response then is mm -hmm. seen as works. And so you can't do that. And then even in the extreme, some of my friends, in the grace movement, they're like, no, you don't even obey Jesus because that's works. It's like, come on, you know? So I'd call that unilateral salvation. Right. Um, so between this kind of transactional, this for that and, and unilateral God plus nothing. Um, I believe that the covenants were always pictures of a marriage, hmm. um, not a contract. They're not a contract. They're a, a covenant. And so I see salvation as reciprocal. It begins with God and does summon a response. The bride says, I do on the cross. Or the bridegroom says, I do on the cross. And the bride says, I do in our baptism. Um, the, the, we love him because he first loved us. So it is always grace first. But grace alone is kind of a... A, a strange statement in a reciprocal relationship. Um, there is a coming home that involves a response. And I, so I am participating mm -hmm. in my salvation by reciprocating the love God has for me. So right. th that's how I would, that's how I would view salvation now. Right. And so under a new covenant, Christ, Christ has reestablished God's love for us. And then, and then he welcomes us to, to respond to it um, yeah. in faith. Hmm. Well, let's go right into the question then of, so we have sin, we have salvation, and how does this incarnation then fit? We kind of, when you're kind of talking a little bit about what you do and what you're, what you are holding to, you meant, you kind of got into it a little bit. So we, could we flesh that out about then how do we hold this idea that God, the word is made flesh within this, these ideas of sin and salvation. Okay. Well, while I would want you to buy all my books first, yes. really, really the must read on this is On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius. Mm. And it was written in the early 300s. The translation you want to get is by Father John Bear, B-E-H-R. Okay. And you want to read his in introduction. And, and uh, it's a magnificent translation of On the Incarnation. And so in that book, what, what, Athanasius is doing is he's saying, how does this work as far as we can tell based on what the scriptures have actually told us? So we're not trying to do a theory mm -hmm. of, right. of, the, of atonement here or something. We're trying to yeah. remember what the gospel is. So mm -hmm. here's, what he's, here's how he would summarize it. That, that in our turning from God, we, we have alienated ourselves that is not the same as the, the classic evangelical idea is that you're separated from god you cannot be separated from god in him you live and move and have your being and he has not once ever turned away from anyone he is in mm -hmm. relentless pursuit of the entire cosmos mm -hmm. so we don't speak of then of separation from god because that's simply not possible for someone whose mercy endures forever mm -hmm. however in my turning, I create a shadow. That means he's still behind me, mm. <laughs> shining his light on me. St. Anthony the Great said, the sinner can no, um, God no more turns away from the sinner than the sun ceases, ceases to shine for a blind man. Mm. So I've gone into the blindness of delusion and I've turned around, I've turned my back on God, but he has not turned his back on me. That's part one. Mm. Second, God sees this happening and what happens in that shadow that I create is, is sort of a, a downward spiral towards non-being. So Athanasius asked this question, what is God to do when he sees this precious creature of his, mm. his sons and his daughters descending into non-being and through their turn from love, they undergo the curse of death. He doesn't curse them with death. Sin does. It's the wages of sin that's death. Mm -hmm. So intrinsic to our turning is, is a downward spiral to the death of non-being. What is God to do? Well, God needs to rescue us from death. He needs to pursue us 
into the human condition all the way into the grave. But wait, mm. God, so there the problem isn't just sin, it's death. Death is the bigger problem. Mm. And mm. so God, how is God to do, how is God to enter, enter death when God can't die? Right. So God assumes human flesh that can die. Um, so that, so that God in Christ can enter death through death. But wait a minute, if God in Christ enters death through death, but God can't die, what will happen? Death mm. will die. Mm. Death will die. And that's essentially um, a, a major factor in our salvation. It is rescuing us from the curse of death that was the consequence of our sin. And he rescues us from death by entering death in person to blow up death forever. The other element of that that's really important, though, is that what Jesus does does not change God's mind about us. He hadn't turned from us in the first place. Mm. So in what sense are we reconciled to God? God is not reconciled to us. We are reconciled to God. How? Because God takes on human flesh to become, to... It's a head transplant. Recapitulation means mm -hmm. a head transplant. So whereas if you think about Adam symbolically as the head of the human race that turned us, that turned humanity away from God, Christ comes and he reheads the human race. And what does he, what does he do with his head? He turns humanity back towards the Father. He reconciles us to the Father mm -hmm. as us. Mm -hmm. That means this. The, re the incarnation is not just Jesus becoming a human. It's Jesus becoming, uniting himself to humanity collectively. He doesn't just take on a human nature. He takes on human nature. The human nature is one thing. We all share, there is one human nature and we share in it. Mm -hmm. It's just that we used to share in the death under the headship of Adam and now we share in the life under the headship of Christ. So if you imagine like God transplanting the head of, mm -hmm. and then Christ turning his head back towards the father on our behalf, mm -hmm. then there's a summons for the us then to participate in, in that kind of saving work. So you've got the two things, Christ reconciles humanity back to the father and Christ rec rescues us um, from death. Mm. And this is, this is Athanasius vision of how salvation was accomplished for us. Right. So what are we saved from that? We're saved from alienation and we're sa saved from death. Mm. Who's saved from death? Cause you're kind of talking about all humanity here. All humanity, all yeah. humanity, except wait, there's still a summons to respond and participate. So there must be agency somewhere. There's Otherwise we're on that one side of the ditch, right? Exactly. Or in that one ditch. Right. So I would say it this way. There, there is the truth of our being in Christ. That is, we are saved in him. But then there's the way of our being. I got this from Baxter Kruger. The way of our being is our experience the existential experience of that truth. So you, it's easy to think about this with you are forgiven. That's the truth. Yeah. But do you, are you experiencing forgiveness? That's the human struggle. Right. Mm. Um, he has saved you. Are you experiencing that salvation? Yeah. Um, he has reconciled you. So be reconciled. So there's always a call to participate and, and, um, and so you're absolutely right. Agency is critical to this whole thing because God, even Muslims know this. Do you know that the heart of Islam in the Quran, it's like God will not have unwilling disciples, mm. not even, not even under threat. You know, if you don't turn to me, I'll, I'll, I'll fry you forever. Well, that's not a willing response. That's an ultimatum. That's right. blackmail. Mm -hmm. um, but it's yeah. this willing, this willing response. The question is, Here's a, here's the radical question: Does the Jesus and the New Testament foresee the uni a universal response from all people? Um, uh, in fact, it does about thirty times. So mm -hmm. Jesus Jesus says, "If I'm lifted up, not if you turned to me, mm -hmm. it's if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself." Mm -hmm. So the men are okay. Don't know about the women. <laughs> no, I'll draw. 
all people to myself. He's drawing us. And the, I, the picture in that word, the Greek word there for draw is like a, a dragnet. It's a, mm. another word. Does, does he, does Paul foresee that every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father? Yes, he does. So, um, but it still requires a response. So his, the, for, the new Testament foreknowledge of a universal response is still contingent on our turning. Mm. What could prevent that from happening? Aha, death. Mm. But wait, he's conquered death. So death can't <laughs> separate you from the love of God. Romans chapter eight, right? So mm. th- this is all, it makes me sound like universalist. I, I'm not, I'm not one, but I, I believe mm-hmm. in ultimate redemption. Mm. The, the yeah. difference is that. Another definition. <laughs> another <laughs> definition. <laughs> yes. I should yeah. say it. So here's why I resist that term. Mm-hmm. I believe the majority of universalists no longer believe sin's an issue, that mm. Jesus is required, that the cross is required, that judgment is required, or that a free will response is required. Well, I think all those things are essential to the gospel. Gospital. <laughs> hey, Ooh, I've just I like coined a word. word. Yes, I like um, that one. That, those, you heard I, it here first. <laughs> yes, I I know I know that some people who call themselves universalists do believe in all those five things. But when that when the pop version of that doesn't, yeah. it's a bad word for me. Mm. So mm. that's why I speak of ultimate redemption. We sin is a fatal problem. We need a savior. Jesus is the savior and no other. The cross was the means of that salvation, and we will all pass through a judgment. And part of that judgment will include a call for us to respond, even if it's beyond the grave. So um, mm-hmm. so that's why I, I, I believe in ultimate redemption, not just everybody's in and it doesn't matter. You know, like that's mm-hmm. – that would be unjust, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. heal us. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus being lifted up uh, in, in that one image – um, how how then does that what what are the mechanics or what how does that improve our ability for actual agency because I'm not able sometimes to see what I'm missing and right. respond to something that I'm may not be super aware of. I think that's why death can't be an issue anymore because there will many, be many who pass away in this life still under the delusion of mm. the world, the flesh, and the devil, that, that the God of the sage has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see. Well, if how can God condemn a blind man for not being able to see? Yeah. So it would require then, I believe, and I get this from Maximus the Confessor and others like him, that every eye shall see him. And when every eye shall see him, it needs to be without reference to the lies that we've been taught and the distractions that are in the way. It'll need to be a vision of Christ um, where we, like Paul on the road to Damascus, when he sees, he gets it. He's like, oh, I didn't get it before. Well, I know a lot of people who die not getting it. So it would be unjust for God to condemn them forever apart from that. Having said that, in this life, it seems to me that 2 Corinthians 4 is saying the way the veil is removed from our eyes and people have a chance to see what they're missing is by the preaching of the gospel. Hmm. So if I'm lifted up means this. Some people hide in their shame from God because they believe he's a monster out to get them and punish them. When I preach the gospel of, of that God looks like Jesus on the cross who who um is revealing god as self-giving radically forgiving co-suffering love mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. the gospel it's good news this is what yeah. god is like he's love oh now i see it well if i hear this a lot if god is like that then i would follow him it's like well he is like that it's like right. okay i'm in i'm just in what? That was easy. <laughs> I didn't even have to use apologetics. I could just tell them the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has revealed God as a divine yeah. lover mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it removed a veil. Mm. And, and we know this because of the transformation that happens thereafter. I mean, oh, go ahead, Jackie. Oh, I was just going to say to hear you talk because some of the things um, we're talking about our words. We've heard a lot if we've grown up in the church and, and the shift happens for me when we, the good news becomes that 
Jesus reveals God. Like that is the picture. And, and so that's, I think why for me, even personally, this whole project is about like, well, what does this mean? If, if Jesus, this reveals God embodies, God is made flesh and we can trust that because I feel like. Let, let me interrupt and yeah. mansplain for a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I grew up with. Yeah. Jesus had to save us from his father. Yeah. And now, yeah, yeah, yeah. now what I'm learning is Jesus shows us. Yeah. Yeah. The father who saves us. That's quite different. <sighs> quite different. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's way better news. <laughs> it's, it's way better news. <laughs> like it's, that's what I'm like, this is good news. And we don't hear it as good news or say it as good news sometimes. No, we say it as an ultimatum. Yeah. God is going to torture you, you forever with fire. But yeah. his son wants to save you from that destiny if you pray this prayer. That's yeah. not the gospel. That's right. That's like, that's a re, first of all, it's, it's a heresy because it, it, hmm. you have tritheism where you're separating the nature of the father and the nature of the son. Right. They share one divine nature. They, right. you don't have one fooling the other by clothing us in his, you know, uh, how did R.C. R.C. Sproul used to be her old mind. He, he wrote that Jesus is the asbestos suit from the white hot wrath of oh. God. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, maybe I like Jesus, but I'm not interested in him. Mm-hmm. In knowing his father, I don't trust his father. And furthermore, the father better not see who I really am Mm. or, or the jig is up, you know, like, that's just all so horrible. Mm. I I feel like, um, cause this is, uh, oh, what's the word? The pouring out. Kenosis. There we go. Yes. See, I haven't studied Greek, but there's one. (laughs) Like, I feel like, okay, oh, that's one metaphor for the cross I hear all the time. It's like, well, and there's, you know, there's five or six other metaphors that we use and, you know, we need to understand it in all these different ways. But I feel that looking at the cross in all these different ways uh, taints this message of uh, God is love. I I feel like the different ways of looking at the cross um, and just allowing them all to sit there is is quite damaging to the gospel. And I feel like we have to kind of pick the ones that are the most beautiful, you know, if I want to borrow from Brian Zond, uh, you know, the beautiful parts and the ones that are ugly and say, maybe, maybe this isn't quite right. Maybe this is actually quite wrong and, and allow those things to kind of fall away. Oh, I see what you're saying. So we're distinguishing that when you say these different ways of thinking about the cross, you're talking about what we've traditionally called as atonement theories. And that's to do with mechanics. And that's not the gospel. So the gospel is not an atonement theory. The gospel is the story of Jesus. Mm. And in that story, he tells you what God is like very clearly. Mm. And then he shows you what God is like on the cross very clearly and then somehow seeing the god who is in christ lifted up on the cross first john says that's how we know what love is and that's how we know who god is there it is that's the good news the atonement theories come much later in terms of how it works um Mm -hmm. and and how it works is a mystery and we're we're welcome to we're welcome to explore that mystery as even as an act of worship we're just not allowed to replace the gospel Hmm. with our atonement theory and this is a huge problem let's say penal substitutionary atonement is an atonement theory composed in the early 1500s well now some denominations are saying it is the gospel it's Mm -hmm. not the gospel the gospel is laid out quite clearly the beginning of first corinthians 15 this is the gospel we received. This is the message we heard that Christ came and he lived and then he died according to the scriptures and he rose again according to the scriptures and now he's Lord. So what then shall we do? You know, so turn to him, turn to him, turn to this Lord of love, turn to, and, um, and there has been a disservice to something we've called Christus Victor. That's just Latin for Christ is the victory right. of Christ as if that were a, an atonement theory. Mm. It's, 
is it a theory that Christ was victorious over death? No, mm-hmm. that is the gospel, actually. He right. conquered, the resurrection is the conquest of, of death. John says he's driven out. Um, the prince of this world has been driven out. Death has been defeated. The, that that uh, death, Hebrews 2, death and the fear of death have been abolished. For Well, that's not an atonement theory then. So we want to distinguish metaphors within the scriptures from atonement theories of theologians hundreds of years later. And I, I I try to do that in my book, a more Christ like God. I'll talk about what's the gospel. What are the metaphor biblical metaphors for the gospel? And then what are the atonement theories that follow later? But what I, what I hear you saying, Zach, I'll rephrase it. Trust the damn story. You know, um, (laughs) that's what has power to save. We've abandoned story for, you know, theology or theory. And, and, and that's, that's been a big shift too. And yeah, we want to and, turn it into propositions and yeah. four, four laws or mm-hmm. five mm-hmm. hoops or a Romans. Whereas you know. the story tells us of a person. And, yes. And if we lose track of that person, we're, we're far off the trail. Well, you know? And it's, it seems to me a story invites people to enter it from different places. So it's harder to maybe control or to, um, Wow. Determine outcomes, right? So, so, so Zach enters the story one way because he's Zach and he was born there and he's a man and I enter it a different way because I'm me. So I'm, I wonder, and that's what I love about the yeah. stories that we all kind of add what we, how we entered it that's to genius. the narrative. Yeah. Tailor made, yeah. right? Cause that reminds me of Luke four, right? Jesus comes along in Luke four and he announces the gospel, but it's tailor made to each group, right? Good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, cleansing to the leper. So where the story of his life, let's say it's the story of his life, not just the cross. Yeah. Where his life touches yours, that's that's gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, and this comes from, what gets me thinking about it, and the conversation got me thinking about this a little bit, was um, in my atonement theory class (laughs) and seminary, we, you know, we kind of go through all those, the different, the penal substitutionary, the crisis victor. And then one day was on, um, on uh, feminist theory. And I don't even, to be totally honest, I don't even remember who we read and, and what they actually said, other than they kind of pointing out some, some questions or a lot of feminist theories like, yeah, but wait about, what about this? What about this? Right. And so the discussion in the class, so we were tasked with reading all these atonement theories and then um, debating them or like, where do you, why do you, why is this better, a better fit? I think that was the task. So with this one day, and um, I'm actually the only woman in the class. So in some ways they're already all looking at me like, well, what do you have to say about this (laughs) woman about feminist atonement theory? Um, And the discussion ends up being, well, it's not, it's only based on whatever this person was saying was only based on her experience. And so is that enough to, to base a a thing of God? And I was like, maybe not, but is that the only reason we dismiss it? Because it's not this person's experience that said, you know, like whoever, John Calvin, I don't even remember all the things we studied anymore. Um, But I'm really curious about what does each person's experience of God lend to the understanding of the story and, and what can we hear from that? That's my big question right now. So anyways, yeah. I, that wow. Luke 4 thing is beautiful. I like that you drew my attention to that. I might have to think about that a bit more. Yeah, well, you see it all throughout the Gospels too. So the Gospel, again, is not just, you know, what, what happens on the cross totalizes and universalizes the Gospel for all people, mm-hmm. but you see how it works in particular lives all the way through. So mm-hmm. John 9, hey, I, I don't know. I don't even have a Christology. I just know I was blind and now I see. Right. You know? Yeah. And um and that and so he had he had experienced Christ as savior. Right. And it wasn't by getting um his his creed right, it was by having this one touch touch his eyes or yeah. heal his eyes. And you could say, well, how how would Luke four how does Luke 4 play out um, for a woman? Well, we already know from 
couple places in the epistles. In Christ. That means that en Cristo, in Christ, mm. is code for gospel. Mm. So in Christ, there's neither male nor female. Well, what does right. that mean? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean you'll no longer be female. What it means is being female will have no power to exclude you anymore. Right. You know? Um, so, so I've been included by the life of this life that's touched me. He's empowered me. Mm. So in that sense, he's truly right. That, that fe- a, a feminist gospel isn't just like an application of it. It's, it is the touch point for half the globe's population. Right. Yeah, when they meet the living Christ in right. so many stories in the, in the gospels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, and this, the importance of each person's story I mean, we've been talking about this shows the power of God to have joined with each person as well. Hmm. I mean, if my story wasn't important to God, he wouldn't have joined himself to me. And so, I mean, just highlighting every person's experience of God and their particular view of God, um, I think is important to validate. And I think even just closing the canon, you know, and saying, okay, these are the stories that count, um, does a disservice to all the work that Christ is doing today. Right. These these stories are meant to show us what's possible, not to put a bookend on it. Right. Can I tell you one quick story? Well, mm-hmm. it's not too yeah. quick. So so Stanley is a is a story that comes out in the in book, but right. stuff has happened to him since then, and it's mm-hmm. worth sharing. So in the, in the, in my book in, I describe this, this man who's come to his name, Stanley. He's come to social services where my friend Esther works. She can't talk about Jesus there, but Stanley is wailing. And it turns out he's cut his throat the night before trying to kill himself. Mm. And they stitched him up and released him the next day. So I guess he missed his arteries. That's good. But um, his mantra is, I'm, I'm a lone wolf, a black sheep, and there's no place for me in this world. So she gets, she just sits with him as he weeps for about 45 minutes. And then, and then finally, um, she says, Stanley, that just, why did you do this? Well, I'm a lone wolf, black sheep. There's no place for me in this world. So she said, Stanley, that's the darkness talking. Can you see the light anywhere in the room? Nope. Can you see the light anywhere in your heart? Nope. She said, Stanley, look in my eyes. Can you see the light in my eyes? Yes. Mm. And because she believes that Christ is the light of the world, who John 1 says has come to shine his light on everyone who comes into the world. So she says, what's the light saying to you, Stanley? It's saying, he can hear the light speaking to him through her eyes. It's saying that I'm a good man with a kind heart and I'm worthy of love and belonging. So she goes to have him write it down. But he writes down, I'm a lone wolf and a black sheep again. And she says, Stanley, that's the, that's not the, what the light said. That's the darkness that wanted to kill you. Could we burn that up? Yes. So they get out his lighter and they burn up this thing and she gets him a new piece of paper and she writes down, I'm a good man with a kind heart and I'm worthy of love and belonging. She didn't have to convince him of depravity. <laughs> yeah. The light wanted to speak into the, into mm. the curse of death over his life. Mm. And so, he began to review that every day with her for weeks until the light drove out the darkness and his life became, he calls it, that was the day of my transformation. Yeah. So he goes, since my transformation, I got a <laughs> job. I got friends at work who are happy I'm there. Some of them want to go out and, and um, have time with me as friends outside of work, not work time, personal time. He's so excited, right? Yeah. And then, um, so he ends up getting a ministry I know, got him and his friend at work bicycles, and they go biking together and all that. Well, so all of that's in the book. The extra part now, Esther popped by the other day, and she's like, I saw Stanley the other day outside of work, so she could be more overt. And she right. said, Stanley, um, have you seen the light that's in you now start shining on other people? Oh, yes. He said, I, I found out. I started seeing how the lady I live with, this older lady uh, who takes care of him, how the lady I live with uh, with loves me and takes care of me. And she's always been so kind to me. And I couldn't even see it before. And her daughter and her were estranged. And now I'm seeing them reconciled. 
and her daughter was drinking too much and now she's not drinking as much and he's right. just seeing this transformation around him so esther goes so so do you think that that do you talk to the light oh yes all the time do you think that light could be god and he says well of course it's god <laughs> and then he said um you know you used to think you were alone do you do you know that there's never less than four of you now and he said what do you mean she said it in your heart, God is there now. The light is there. And that light came as is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with mm-hmm. you. That makes four. And he's like, oh, this is great. You know, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just you see this organic salvation playing out in his life a stage right. at a time as the light in, light colonizes the darkness. Mm-hmm. And as the light becomes more personal to him. Right. And re- and not only yeah, personal and responsive and right. and uh, he's turned into a trinitarian within a couple months <laughs> um, and and um, so so what can we say about that like well the salvation it was at the point where the light entered his darkness and that yeah. really is so his testimony becomes mm-hmm. his gospel. What yeah. he could do for me, he could do for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I love that. I love the idea that witness is actually what telling people what I've experienced, not you should We're witnesses. check this off, right? Like yeah. I, I saw this happen here. Yeah. It's, we thought it, we were lawyers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're not lawyers. We're witnesses. We thought yeah. we were judges. Yeah. We're not judges. Yeah. We're, we're witnesses, you know, well, what, what's the propensity? Why do we want to hmm. be judges? Like, was that laid on us by, you know, the theology that we were taught as youngsters or. No, I think it starts earlier. I used to blame it all on like Calvinism, Yeah. <laughs> sure. but you know, we, we know, we know there was a problem with Catholicism before that. And we yeah. know that there was a problem with Israel before that. And we, I think it goes back to the garden and here's how it hmm. works. The moment we stumble from our from our turning towards self-will, so we turned from love towards self-will. The instant Adam and Eve in the in the story world of Genesis that they, they grasp for that other tree, what is it? A couple of things that happen. One is they it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all about judgment mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of life. But also they instantly experience shame. And out of their shame, they form an image of God from whom they need to hide. Mm-hmm. He's never given them a reason for that. So mm-hmm. he created them out of dust and out of a rib. They they fashion a false image of God out of their shame. And the the, the so the first instinct is is to to create this false image and hide from it. Mm-hmm. And then the second instinct is to blame. <laughs> so when you're feeling shame. Right you um shame is hard to look at so it's 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 when you don't you know there's a kind of self-loathing and and so what do we do we project and that turns into judgments Mm -hmm. so my propensity towards judgment emerged from my shame which emerged from my own sin my own stumbling and that's why i see the same kind of stuff in people who've never had theological indoctrination or even like christianity i just see it i see the same kind of angry projections mm-hmm. and judgments let's mm-hmm. say on the on the progressive left from people who never identified with the jesus story or mm-hmm. had a bad church experience mm-hmm. right yeah right 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 did you have anything Which, else zach well just um zach it's not zach it's zach is it i'm sorry it is. oh that's okay yeah um, it happens all the time. I, I, have, I have coworkers that I've worked with for five years that still call me Zach. So okay. <laughs> not a big deal. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one, I mean, I, one question I've wanted to ask for a long time uh, of you, uh, because I read um, her gates will never be shut, which is yeah. a very big and beautiful picture of uh, the life to come. Um and, and basically opening up, uh, actually having people open up to God mm. um, and turning to God. The salvation that's worked out after the death, uh, because 
I hate to think that Jesus just snaps his fingers and the twinkling of an eye, we're all made perfect and everything bad that I ever did to anyone is just kind of forgotten by them. And they just kind of like, oh, yes, I forgive you. That to me is, you know, it's like Hitler marching in along with, you know, the brother of someone that was killed in a, in a concentration camp. And they're just kind of like, oh, hey, oh, I remember your name. Yeah, oh, no kidding. You lived in Germany. Oh, no kidding. All right, cool. <laughs> Hey, we're in heaven. How about that? Uh, that just seems it's it cheapens it cheapens what um, the, the the love of God, or it cheapens or just devalues all the suffering that is is happening right now and has happened throughout history. So um, I remember hearing you talk in uh, the film uh, Hellbound and just talking about God's love burning out all of those things that's that's the fire the fire is god's love burning the impurities that prevent us from seeing god you know kind of going back to the agency part um what does god do with the suffering that uh has endured you know and then it's not so much forgotten by the people who have suffered what what does god or what what happens with that suffering Well, okay, so let's back up for a second. Sure. So I'm, I understand the feeling you're describing because I have that feeling too. Mm -hmm. In the old days, our solution was there has to be punishment. That could be the only way to make it right. As if, yeah. you know, so. so I'm going to uh, suffer less because, yeah, yeah, someone gets to suffer more. Yeah, yeah and, or, and we forget about the suffering of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So I prayed for a predator who as a teenager had molested some children and he got away with it. Like, I don't mean it was a secret. It's mm. just that under the law, mm. but it, but his conscience tormented him. So we, I took him to the cross. I'm like, tell him what you did. I was really pissed off at him. Tell him what you did. And so he tells Jesus what he did. And then Jesus said, I forgive you. And then, and then he says, well, that's too easy. So even in him, you know, the, the torment of his soul wasn't enough punishment for him. But what Christ says from the cross to him is, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and he realizes we, we don't measure, you, you know, that, that the suffering and the, in, and the harm we've inflicted, um, that has been suffered fully by Jesus Christ. So don't forget that part in the discussion. Mm -hmm. Having said mm -hmm. that, um, I just love some of the saints and, and uh, well, I'll mention George MacDonald, for example, and mm -hmm. he would just say, you don't get away with anything. Just because mm -hmm. you're forgiven doesn't mean you won't have to stand in the presence of the dread tribunal um, where you face the meaning of your life, where you face the things that you have done, that done and the harm you have caused in the presence of those whom you've harmed. Yeah. And for Hitler, that would mean a truth and reconciliation commission involving 6 million Jews. Right. What does God do with the suffering? Okay. And now I've finally come back to your question. He mm -hmm. heals it. What if, mm. what if the Jews who stand before Christ are so thoroughly healed that Paul is right when he said that all the sufferings of this life will seem like momentary flickers of a fluorescent bulb compared to the glory that is to come. So if we begin with this radical healing to the very core of our souls that does not wipe out our memory of the suffering, but that we can no longer relive the suffering in it. It's now a redeemed story. And not be cap mm. captive of it. Still. We're not captive in any way to it anymore. Right. It's like, I'm not blind anymore, or I'm not crippled. I don't feel harm. I don't feel hurt anymore when I remember this thing that happened. Okay, now here comes Hitler. What if, what if, I mean, what a hellish thing it would be for Hitler to receive the love of those six million Jews. Mm. <laughs> and what if they become instruments of his of salvation. his salvation, yeah. right? Yeah. If they, well, that's what we see in this life. How do, yeah. 
we, we see people being agents of the salvation of others as they forgive them for the harm done. And they are, they're mediating the forgiveness of God on the cross. So that's all speculation, but I am, yeah. I'm just saying that however it works out, it, A, it must work out. And B, that the working out of it doesn't involve punishment. It involves redemption. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I even know, like, we prayed for a lot of young women who've been molested as children and, or, or sexually assaulted, men and boys too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they encounter Christ, the healing is so thorough that they go like, I don't understand this. I hesitate to say it, but it's true. I, I can't wish it didn't happen because how would I know Jesus this way? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, and they're and I'm like, and, and then and then they've been able to go to their, um, to the perpetrator, and actually extend forgiveness to them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are able to receive it, and some of it, some of them actually, uh, well, I know of one case where it was too much, and they went and killed themselves. The forgiveness mm-hmm. was the kindness; they couldn't live with it, and but that's for the next life. All of that's a way to talk about this, but when you you know we bring up Hitler and the Jews, it's like we had the flip side of that when I was growing up. If the Jews didn't accept Christ, they were going to hell too. So Anne Frank and Hitler were both going to yeah to to hell. It's like, well, you were in Germany, eh? <laughs> now we're in, both in hell. Yeah. But wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, far more bleak, and um, it's not a pretty picture. It's not. No. There's no beauty in that at all. No, God is not glorified in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask before we go is it's it's Holy Week. And I'm just curious, is there a Jesus story that is particularly getting you this year that that is catching you in a way that ha- it hasn't before or it hasn't in a while? <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, I always look forward to, to Sunday. Um, specifically to Mary Magdalene meeting mm. Christ in the garden. Yeah. But um, I do that every year. What I'm doing today, I don't know when your viewers will see this, but I'm today is Monday. Mm-hmm. We call it Holy Monday. And, and I'm calling it COVID Monday. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about, and the, the key story to COVID Monday is the cleansing of the temple and yeah. how Christ goes into the temple and he clears it out. And, and it's a harsh, it's a harsh cleansing, Mm -hmm. but it's for the saving of life. And it's gripping me because we're meant to see the cleansing of our temple in that story, both the corporate temple and the personal temple. We are the temple and I am the temple. Mm -hmm. So, so I was thinking this morning about, what is it during the coronavirus crisis that is the opportunity for cleansing in us? God did not send this virus. This is not his punishment. But as Peter says, every fire trial is a, is an occasion for judgment in the sense of let's invite, what is it in the church that needs cleansing right now? What a great time to do that. When we can't meet together, maybe we can think about the clutter in the courtyards that have displaced and excluded people or that we have hoarded stuff um, um, and, and, and made ourselves as if it's our temple instead of Jesus temple. So it's a, right. to me, it's an invitation for him to fashion a whip to remove the beasts and the cages mm. and the, and the corruption um, that maybe we have not cared to see removed before, but this year maybe we could. And then also in my own heart, what are the closets that I wouldn't let Jesus into? What are what are my resi- where is that? Do I have resistance that I have just put up with my entire life? And it's like mm-hmm. it's time to be it's time for that to leave the temple. Right. And so it's again it's a harsh kind of cleansing, but it's for life. Well, yeah. part of my salvation is the cleansing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm forgiven, but I also want to be cleansed. Uh, I don't mean so I can be a holy man. I mean so that yeah. nothing in me resists the love of God. Yeah. 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 What a way to say it. Just to, just that shift of pointing back towards the love of God. 
Our recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the Podcast Made Flesh, no spaces, or on Facebook. Like our page and follow us. Get all our updates. Support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform. 